This is our final installment in a series that we're doing called Truth Matters. Uh, and it's all about what Jude 3 says, which is we are to contend for the faith. The faith is that which God has communicated to us through His Word, our salvation, who He is, who we are, how we are to live out our lives. When it says contend, that means we put energy, we put effort, we focus on it, man. We draw a line in the sand and we go, here's where we're going to stand. Why do we do that? Because we have an enemy who's against us, who loves lies, wants us to believe lies, wants us to live lies. And so we are to contend for the faith that God has given us. And so we're wrapping up this series tonight, going to deal with some more cultural issues. And I know I said this one other time in this series, but it bears repeating just because this is... Uh, I just want us all to be on the same page in terms of knowing where I'm coming from. The, uh, there is a... Uh, an idea that is out there among some Christians and many churches that uh, it's wrong to get <clears throat> political. And uh, I completely disagree with that. And here's why. Because I think long before there, there was political stuff, uh, most political issues are moral issues. And if there's a moral issue, then it's a biblical issue. And my responsibility and God-given privilege as I stand before you here is to tell you what the Bible says, to speak truth about what God's Word says, how to apply it to our lives. Because the truth is, we are salt and we are light as believers which means we interact with every area of life, from politics to entertainment to on and on it goes. And long before something was politicized, it was a moral issue, which means it was a biblical issue. So we're going to see what God has to say about it, because He's the creator of life. He knows how life is to be lived, and He tells us that in His Word, which is the truth. Jesus tells us, as He speaks to the Father, John 17, verse 17, Thy Word is truth. So, just so that we're all on the same page with this is where we're going, we believe that, uh, you know, everybody loves to quote, you know, the words of Jesus when he says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Well, that is true, but the verse right before that sets the context for that, where Jesus says, if you hold to my teachings, then you're my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's all, our freedom is based on the word of God, understanding it, following it, and giving ourselves to what Jesus said, this is true. So that's where we're going tonight as we wrap this thing up, okay? So I've got uh, 25 minutes, so we're going to go fast, and we're going to get after it. But first and foremost is, is our habit. We need to pray because I want you to hear from God. I don't just want you to hear from me because that's a waste of all of our time. But the Lord God, who loves you passionately, who knows your situation, who understands what's going on in your heart and your mind and coming down the road for you, he knows all of this, he wants to speak to you because he loves you. And I know that that is a challenge, and we've talked about this, because Satan wants you to believe that God cannot be trusted and that he's not good. The Bible tells us a different story, and I want you to hear it from the Spirit of God yourself. And so uh, let's bow together. I'm going to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes and just ask God silently. Just ask him to speak to you. Say, God, open up my, my heart and speak to me, and I will respond to you. Heavenly Father, again, we bow before you. We acknowledge that you are the king of the universe. You have the words of life that we need. Lord, you know what every person here needs tonight. God, you know what's going on in their hearts, in their lives, in their relationship world, their, their business world. You know the challenges that they face. You know the, the sins that, that Satan just wants to just, just dog them with. And God, I pray against all of that. And that tonight, Father, your spirit would speak so clearly and so truly. We would walk out of here encouraged, knowing that we have a great God and that you have an answer and that you have a path for us. Thank you, Christ. You are our treasure. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.
All right, so grab your Bibles and open them up to Romans chapter 10. We're going to be there in just a little bit, but I want you to be prepared. So the hard copy of the Word of God you brought with you or uh, on your uh, electronic device or there's a Bible in front of you, any of those will work, okay? I want you to see it as we walk through this, this one verse. There's a lot of Scripture. We're going to cover a lot of ground tonight, uh, but um, I want you to see uh, one of the passages that we're going to look at and kind of wrap everything up with to have it in front of you. Okay, so let's start this way. Yes, I have props tonight. I know we've blown the budget on props, so here we go. <laughs> All right, so ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you that this is a straight tube. This is absolutely straight. It's incredible how straight this tube is. It's wonderful. If I said that, what, how would you respond to me? Boo. Boo, okay, boo, thank you. Yeah, right, right, right. Well, here's the thing. Suppose I could convince everybody, Jay, let's say I could convince everybody in this room that this is straight. What would you still say? Boo, okay, right, he's still saying, even if everybody said it, right? Because here's, how do you know, though? How do you know that this is not straight? I'll tell you how you know, because there's a standard that everybody measures something by. There's a standard that tells you what is real and what is false, what is straight and what is crooked. And so when you have the standard that is straight and then you match it up against, ah, not straight, this is crooked. The way you know that is because you have a standard. Here's the point is that God has given us a standard in His... We live in a world that makes up their own standards. But God has given us a standard that is His truth. Okay, we've talked about this. You desperately need a standard. Because if you don't, then anything and everything is up for grabs. Everything is up for grabs. But God has given us His truth that says this is a standard and it's absolute, which means it doesn't change. It is not affected by time. It is not affected by culture. It is not affected by the opinions of anyone. Absolute truth stands outside of all of that. And most, most people, many people today, uh, and there are statistics that vary on this, but the majority of people today do not believe in the concept of absolute truth. They believe truth can be whatever you want it to be. That, of course, is a nightmare, you know, because it sounds cool and progressive. That's, that's your truth because that's not my truth. But the reality is nobody really lives like that. You know that. Nobody lives like that. Case in point. Go 100 miles an hour. When a policeman pulls you over and you look at him and go, hey, man, 100 miles an hour, that was my truth. So you can't do anything to me because it was my truth. That's not going to work, right? If I decide that I want Jay's car, my truth is Jay's car should be mine. And so I take his car and I steal his car. And he comes to me and he says, hey, that's my car. I'm like, I'm sorry, man, that's your truth. My truth is that that car should belong to me. It, it is mine. I like it. And so it doesn't matter how you feel about it. And it doesn't matter how, how anybody else feels about it. This is my truth. See, it breaks down. Boo. Yeah, right. <laughs> it breaks down in real life. We know that. It's crazy. But and yet, that is what is being communicated in our culture is that anybody can just design their own truth. Over and against that, God says, you have a standard. See, because if you don't have a standard, then you don't know what this is. If it's, if it's straight, if it's crooked, you don't know. You have to have a standard. God has given us standard in his word. And because it is sourced from God himself, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the truth. And because God's word is sourced from God himself, his truth is sourced from God, then we can know that it doesn't change. Why? Because he doesn't change. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. Doesn't change. Malachi 3, 6, I, the Lord, do not change can't be any clearer because his word is sourced from God. His word is absolute 
and it doesn't change, and it is what we need to know this is the standard. And God says, I'm giving you one because I love you, I care about you, I'm the author of life, I've designed life, I know how it is to be lived. So we're going to look at three things very quickly tonight that our culture is trying to tell us there's a completely different standard and you need to agree with this. The first one is one we've talked about already, it's transgenderism. I want to make sure that we have an understanding about this because this is so, so very important. Transgenderism is a belief that says your biological sex doesn't necessarily determine your gender. Here's the thing, for most of our history, for most of your, our history, um, that was self-evident. A man is a man, a woman is a woman. Self-evident, okay? Uh, but now, there has been introduced into our culture by academia, actually, is where it came from, and then uh, powered by Hollywood, that that may not actually be true. Your gender could be fluid. You can pick a number of different genders. And even though that flies directly in the face of basic science, Right? Because the peer pressure of our culture has been so strong in that direction, especially in social media, coupled with the fact that if you don't agree with that, you can be labeled you know, a racist or a bigot or a hater. That has brought us to the place where we are right now. And this is where we are. Some of the latest statistics are this. Roughly 50% of all Americans believe that a man can be a woman in spite of his, quote, internal plumbing. And get this. 35% of Protestants and 46% of Catholics now believe that a person's sex might be different from his or her sex at birth. That is what is being communicated. That is what is being sold. You know? And again, let's be honest. How many, how many of you are over 40? Let me see. Over 40, okay. It's the majority of our audience, okay. How many of you in school ever had to have a conversation about this, thinking that there was more than two genders? Yeah, exactly. Right? This is... This is this is what's happening to us. But here's the thing. God's truth gives us a standard. That's what number one is. Genesis 1.27. We've talked about this. That God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And verse 28 says, he blessed them. God says there's two genders. I have a design. I have a plan. This is the standard. This is what is right. And then Psalm 139.14 tells us that God created us in our mother's womb, watched over us in our mother's womb, and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what God says about it. He didn't make a mistake. He didn't make a mistake. So God says, this is the standard. This is what is real. This is what is actual. This is what is true. And anything that comes against that, you match it up against the Word of God. And this is what God's Word says. Now, if you don't believe in God, if you're having a conversation with someone who doesn't believe in God, you can simply ask them this question. Is it ever helpful or healthy or a good idea to try to live in opposition to your own body? Because that's what transgenderism does. And especially when you know, they're encouraging kids to you know, transition. You, know, you mutilate your own body in order to transition. That is what's happening. They're trying to live in opposition to their, their own body. Of course, the answer to that is no. And God's word is clear. Why? Because he loves us. He says, I'm going to tell you the truth. And it doesn't matter. Truth is impervious to how we feel about it. It doesn't matter how we feel about it. It doesn't matter how many people believe a certain thing. God says, this is what is true, and this is where you can stand, and this is where you can anchor yourself to. And that is what we must know and what we must communicate. Because let me read you a scripture from the, um, it's 2 Timothy 3.16. I don't have it up there. 2 Timothy 3.16 from the Amplified Classic. It says this, Every scripture is God-breathed, given by His inspiration, and profitable for instruction, for reproof and conviction of sin, for correction of error and discipline in obedience, and for training in righteousness, in holy living, in conformity to God's will and thought, purpose, and action. That is the power 
of the Word of God in our lives. And God tells us the truth because He wants us to know the truth. That's number one. Second area that I want to deal with tonight, briefly in our culture, is this uh, area, this issue of uh, personal or prefer- preferred pronouns. Okay, this is a, this is where that uh, someone uh, picks their own uh, pronoun and then requires me, when talking to them or when talking about them, to use that pronoun. Okay, so let's right up front just call this what it is: absolutely ridiculous. All right, let's just say that this is in the category of punch yourself in the face. Okay, this is what is happening here. Okay, think about it. I mean, think about it. You don't get your own verbs. You don't get your own verbs. You don't get your own conjunctions. You don't get your own prepositions, right? These things are not subjective terms, all right? We don't get to make up our own meaning. Otherwise, language becomes nonsensical. Hey, this is a pair of pants. You know, hey, this is a, this is a unicorn. That's not, how, that's not how language works, right? That's not, for example, let's say I have a coat, okay? I have a coat, all right? And I take it off, but I insist that you tell me that I have it on. Because you know what? On's my new favorite word. I love on. It's, it's my favorite. It's my favorite. On is the coolest word ever. It's my favorite. So even though I have you, I require you to tell me that I have it on because that's what I prefer. Okay? Guess what? It doesn't matter what I think about it. Either I have it on or I have it off. That's how language works according to the rules of language. What you should tell me is that which conforms to reality, not just what I prefer. Okay, Either I have it on or I have it off according to what is actually happening in reality. That's what truth is. Truth conforms to reality. In other words, truth tells us this is what is real, this is what is false. This is what is actual. Truth tells us that. All right? And so my responsibility, my responsibility is to speak truth, to communicate truth to people, as is yours. That's our responsibility. Because if I don't, then I lie. And see, one of the things that makes lying so bad and so wrong and so hurtful is that it steals the truth from people. It steals the truth from people. And if you continue to run down that path, as the Bible clearly tells us, there's only destruction. If you believe a lie and live a lie, there's only destruction for you. In Proverbs 21, 28, says a false witness will perish. Not might perish, not could perish. A false witness will perish. God says, I'm telling you, if you live a lie, this is what's coming for you. All right? This is what is going to happen. And so when it comes to my coat, for example, if I have it off, but I want you to tell me that I have it on because that's what I prefer, then guess what? I've just asked you and required you to lie to me, to lie to me, and to steal the truth from me. So when it comes to personal and preferred pronouns, if you require me to use a pronoun for you that is not actual, like if you want me to call you a he, but you're actually a she, all right, and I do that, guess what? I've stolen the truth from you. I have lied to you, which is hurtful and what is wrong. And here's the bottom line for all of it. You can't make me lie to you. You can't force me to lie to you. I deserve to give you the truth. I owe you the truth. That's what language (laughs) demands. That's what morality demands. And that is what God demands. Ephesians 4.25 says, Let us put off falsehood and speak truthfully to our neighbor. That is what God demands demands. And so by me using a preferred pronoun, I am stealing the truth from you. 
and I'm lying to you, and you can't make me lie to you. You cannot make me do something that's going to be hurtful. See, because if I choose to do that, if you want me to call you by a preferred pronoun and I choose to do that, not only do I do something to you that steals the truth and is hurtful and wrong, I am also enabling you to go on a path that's going to end in your destruction, right? And I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. God calls me to do something different. Truth matters. Language has meaning. And one of the most loving things that you and I can do is to tell someone the truth regardless of how they feel about it. That is our God-given responsibility and our moral obligation before the king of the universe because he tells us this is what we are to do. We are to tell the truth. Okay? Third one. I want to talk about the words that have been weaponized in our culture. Tolerance and acceptance. All right? So when you hear those terms, when you hear those terms, especially we'll say with tolerance at first, when you hear that, you are told that if you don't agree with me, let's say on transgenderism, if I don't agree with you, then I am labeled as intolerant, and I am a bad person, and I'm completely intolerant, and how awful and ugly that is. Okay, let's clarify a few things so we just kind of cut through the fog of all of this. You know, let me give you the definition of tolerance and tolerate, okay? This is really important. To tolerate means, ready, uh, dictionary definition, to tolerate means to allow the existence of something that one does not necessarily like or agree with. Let me read that again. To tolerate means to allow the existence of something that one does not necessarily like or agree with. You know what that means? Tolerance is a pretty easy ask. It's a pretty easy ask. For example, I go out driving, and this is a pet peeve of mine. Somebody pulls in front of me and slows down. I do not, I do not enjoy that in the least at all. You know, if you were riding with me, you might hear something like, "Hey, buddy, you have a, you paid for that pedal on the right. You might want to use it." You know, or something along those. When you pull in front of me, okay, as happens. The fact that I don't ram that person with my car and run them off the road, guess what? I've successfully tolerated them. I've successfully tolerated them. Because to tolerate, thank you very much. I'll be here all week. To tolerate means to allow the existence of something that you do not necessarily like or agree with. I don't like when that, when that happens, but I don't attack their car and run them off the road. I have successfully tolerated them. Yes, I've tolerated you, all of you here today. Yes, for example, how many of you like onions? Let's just be honest. How many of you like onions? Okay, lots of people like onions. How many of you love to get up early in the morning? You are early risers. You like it, okay? A few less hands. Okay, how many of you like essential oils? You dig essential oils. Look at how many guys like essential Okay, and, uh, and uh, how many of you like your coffee black? Drink your coffee black. Okay, see, all right, here's the thing. The fact that I have not killed any of you tonight because of those things. <laughs> Because I do not agree with any of those. I don't like any of those. I have successfully tolerated all of you. Good for me. Good on me. Yes. And you know what? You have done the same. Because I'm telling you right now, and you know this is true, every person in this room, you disagree with them on one thing, at least one thing. You would disagree with everybody in this room at least one thing. And the fact that during our meet and greet time, you didn't strangle anybody, you successfully tolerated everyone. Good on you. 
Tolerance is a pretty easy ask. You can disagree on ideas and philosophies and world beliefs and still tolerate someone. But that's not what the game is. You and I both know that. That's not what really is going on. That's not the goal. The goal is acceptance, absolute acceptance. Let me read the definition to you of that. It is the action of consenting to, to give approval to, to willingly receive. The action of consenting to, to give approval to, to willingly receive. That's the goal. It's not tolerance. It's acceptance. It's absolute acceptance. Because you can tolerate somebody without accepting them. That is not the goal. We are told, as Christians, that we are to tolerate people, which literally means absolutely accepting them and their choices, which means I am to accept everyone's sinful choice, ungodly choice, unbiblical choice, because that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be accepting of that, of this person and their choices. And you have more and more pastors that are saying that is what you need to do because that is how love and compassion really work. It's how you love well. If I hear that phrase one more time, I may shoot myself. Love well. People have just twisted that, right? This is how you love well. And if you're not accepting everything of this person and their choices, then you are a racist, you're a hater, you are intolerant, and you are completely un-Jesus-like. But is that true? Think about it. Is that true? Does acceptance mean, am I required? Am I required to accept the evil in someone else? Am I required to accept the wickedness in somebody else's actions? Am I required to willingly receive that bad and destructive and wrong habit in that person? Is that what Jesus did? You know, and you'll hear people say, well, you know, Jesus ate with you know, tax collectors and prostitutes. That's true, but he never collected taxes with them. He never turned tricks with them. I mean, look at, listen, John 8, 1 through 10. You know the story, the story of the woman caught in adultery, okay? They brought the, the woman caught in adultery, adulterous sin before Jesus. They threw her at his feet. It was a trap. And they said, Jesus, the law of Moses requires that this woman be stoned and executed to death right here and right now. What do you say? It was a trap. They were baiting him. Jesus didn't take it, of course, because he's the ultimate strategist. They worked themselves up into a frenzy. What do you say? What do you say? And Jesus finally looked at them and said, hey, let the first person who hasn't committed any sin cast the first stone. And one by one, they dropped their stones and walked away until finally there was no one there but Jesus and the adulterous woman. And Jesus looked at her and he said, where are your accusers? No one left to condemn you? And she said, no one. And I'll bet at that point she was thinking that there was a sermon building in the wings, and Jesus was going to just let her have it. Yeah, I can't believe you, what you did, how you offended me, and boy, I ought to. He didn't say any of that. He said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Notice what he said. He did not say, neither do I condemn you. Go and continue your activity. He didn't do that. He said, neither do I condemn you. He forgave her, and then he said, I'm not going to accept your adulterous activity. I'm not going to accept your adulterous choices, your sinful choices. I'm not okay with that. And in effect, he was saying, you are not to be okay with it either. I want you to go, and I want you to sin no 
more. I want you to walk away and say, I'm not okay with that activity. I'm not going to do anymore. Because Jesus is not okay with that activity. Romans 12.9 Romans 12.9 says we are to hate what is evil and to cling to what is good. Which means we are to hate the evil and the wrong choices and the wicked habits in us first and then in others. That's what Jesus says. See, under the banner of acceptance, there, there are people in churches that say, listen, you just got to welcome. You just got to welcome them. And what they mean by that, you just accept, accept everybody. Just bring them and accept everybody. What they're essentially saying, come and stay the same. That is not the message of the gospel. It is not the message of our church. It's not going to be the message when we get together and gather. It's not come and stay the same. It's, it's far better and far different. It's a come with all your brokenness, with all your mess, with all your junk, with all your sin, with all your hurt, and be saved, and be rescued, and be healed, and be transformed, and be restored. That's the, that's the message of Jesus. That's the message. It's not, the church should not preach tolerance and acceptance. Again, it's way better than it. It's a message of salvation, of cleansing, of forgiveness, of transformation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. For salvation, it's a moment in time, and then it's a process over time. There's justification and sanctification. You are born again, and then you grow in your relationship with God and aligning yourself with Him. That's the message of the gospel. If all we do is talk about acceptance, then we gut the gospel and we leave the person who comes unchanged and hopeless. And Jesus didn't sacrifice his life for that. He didn't do that. He sacrificed to give us life, to give us freedom, to give us hope. That's what, that's what God wants to give us. And we have that wrapped up in that one verse in front of you, Romans 10, verse 9. We'll close with this. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Phrase by phrase. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. To confess is to make a public proclamation that you are aligning yourself with what you're about to say. To make a confession, a public confession. It's what you do when you get married. You make a public confession of vows to your future spouse. You're about to make a life-changing decision. You confess that. You proclaim that. This is where I'm moving. This is where my life is going to be aligned. And what is it that you're aligning your life with? That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Lord is a title of supreme and ultimate authority. You're saying, Jesus, you're in charge. You're in charge. You are the king of my life. You are Lord. All that I am is surrendered to you. I turn from being my own Lord, being my own God. That's what repentance is. I turn from that sin. And I give my life to you. I come before you. You are in charge. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart. To believe means to trust in, to rely on, to adhere to. In your heart, that's the center of who you are as a person. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You nail that down. You say, I believe that what Jesus did on the cross in resurrecting for me, he did it. It happened. He conquered hell, sin, death, the grave, my sins. He did it. He is alive, and I can have a relationship with him today. And he means what he says, and he's good to his word because he came back from the grave. Proved it. Proved it, who he was. 
believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's a guarantee. You will be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You will step away from being trying to be your own God to letting God run your life, surrendering yourself to Him. He takes you unto Himself, gives you a relationship with Him, starts to change you from the inside out. You have a now a home in heaven. You have a direction with your life. And verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's a wide open invitation. No one is excluded. And verse 12, before that, and verse 11, let's start with verse 11. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him, Jesus, will never be put to shame. You'll never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is what God wants for you. That is his heartbeat for you and for me. That is his heartbeat for everyone. That's why he says the invitation of everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But you've got to call. You've got to proclaim Jesus is Lord. You've got to say, I'm not running that way. Jesus, I'm running toward you. It's not just, hey, I'm going to pray a little prayer, sign a card, do something like that, and I'm in. It's not that. It's like it's a surrender of your entire life because you were dead and you need life. Jesus said, I'll give it to you. And that, brothers and sisters, that's what we contend for. That's what we contend for until we see Jesus face to face. That's our privilege. That's our role. Let's pray. Heads bowed and eyes closed just for a moment. Thank you guys so much for your kind attention. Now, what is it that God talked to you about tonight? You asked Him to speak to you. I believe He did. What is it that He said to you? What changes do you need to make? What truths do you need to believe? Where do you need to recalibrate your life? Where do you need to walk away from something that's wrong and rock towards that which is right? Where do you need to hate what is evil but cling to what is good? Where do you need to believe that God has not made a mistake with you in creating you who you are, as you are? That He has a plan and a purpose for you. Maybe you can't see that now, and it's hard. This Word, He tells us the truth, and He has a 100% track record. What is it that God talked to you about? Take a moment silently as we close in the sanctuary of your heart and just respond to the God who loves you so madly. Be renewed in Him. Hello, question. If you're here tonight and you've never invited Christ into your life, you've never confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that what He did on the cross and rising from the grave, He did for you. You don't know if you're going to make heaven, but you want to know. You can. Can I just tell you that is why God brought you here tonight? Because He wants you to know Him. He wants you to have your sins forgiven. He wants to step into your life. He wants you to experience His love and His leadership. He wants you to know that you're going to heaven. If that's you, then just tell Him that. Just tell Him that. You can pray something like this, not out loud. Let me give you a prayer to pray. Just, just mean the words as your own. Just basically walk through what the Bible says. We just form it in words into a prayer. Silently, we want to give your life to Christ. Pray something like this. Say, Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. I believe you died for me. That you rose again for me. That you have eternal life to give me. A home in heaven. Relationship with you. And I want it. So right now, Jesus, I turn from my sin. And I turn to you. 
I give you my life. I confess that you are Lord. I'm all yours. Heads bowed, eyes closed. No one looking around. But if you just prayed that prayer and you meant it, I want to remember you in a closing prayer. No one looking around but me. I want you, if you just prayed it and you meant it, I just want you to raise your hand up real quick so I can pray for you. You know, not by name, I don't know you. But just because somebody prayed for me when I gave my life to Christ, I want to pray for you. If that's you, anyone like that, just put your hand up real quick so I can see it, so I can pray for you. So as I prayed it, I meant it. Pray for me, man. Father, thank you for your word, for your truth. Lord, you're so good. Father, we live in a culture that is inundated with stuff that's not true. But we have a standard that we can cling to, and it's powered by you, God. We're not operating with a weak hand. We're a small voice. We have the king of the universe. So Lord, I pray for all of us that this week we would be salt and light for you. Lord, that we would take the stand where we need to, that we would listen when we need to, that we would speak when we need to, and that we would speak with your words of compassion and truth. And Jesus, if there's stuff in us that doesn't belong, continue to work it out of us so that we can walk well with you. Until we see you again, Jesus, man, we can't wait until that happens. We pray this in your name. Amen.